0: Say you want one of those rare Odell Beckham Giants jerseys, the real one. How do you know when you've got the real thing?
1: You have a really interesting opportunity to take a physical jersey, make a record of it digitally on this distributed ledger that is backed by the blockchain. And now you can track that jersey. And and by doing so, you know that the jersey is uh, is authentic.
0: That's Casey Schwab from the NFLPA who says technology is changing the merchandising game. This is the Sport Techie Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Man, this has been a really crazy week in the new NFL year. Antonio Brown is a Raider. Le'Veon Bell is back in the league as a New York Jet. Odell Beckham is going to be catching passes from Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. Massive stars changing uniforms. So it might be time to change your jersey choice as well. Merchandise is a big business for professional sports leagues. Go ask baseball. There's a lot of Bryce Harper Phillies jerseys flying off the shelves these days. Casey Schwab is the vice president of business and legal affairs at the NFLPA. Hey, Casey, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Bram? I'm Thanks great. for having me.
0: Um, let's start with, with what you do at the NFLPA.
1: So as you mentioned, I'm the VP of business and legal affairs at the PA. Uh, so that does mean I'm a lawyer, but not a quote-unquote real lawyer like a lot of my colleagues at the NFLPA who arbitrate grievances um, under the collective bargaining agreement. They arbitrate in front of arbitrators, they file grievances. Um, they are more like the traditional courtroom lawyers, whereas my job as a, as a commercial lawyer is to protect the players and generate revenue on their behalf. So the NFLPA, as most people know, is a 501c organization, which is a labor union under mandated under federal labor law. In addition to the 501c non We also have a for-profit arm called NFL Players Inc. And NFL Players Inc. is tasked by our players to generate as much off-the-field revenue as we possibly can. So the way to think about it is the NFL PA, the the labor side, is on the field. So everything from working conditions to um, salaries to the salary cap uh, to the player contract on the field that each NFL player does with the club. Then there's the the off-the-field. So off-the-field is where I focus my time um, in generating revenue. So our primary revenue streams are marketing and licensing, um, content through our content arm, Ace Media. We have a venture arm called the One Team Collective, and we're we're constantly looking at new initiatives to try to open up new revenue streams for our players. And in my role specifically, it's managing the the partnerships – from the business affairs standpoint, but also making sure that we protect our players and mitigate risk with all that's going on off the
0: field. I'll get into that in a moment. I, I'm curious that you you kind of delineated between the two sides of it, and and everyone reads about how contentious obviously labor negotiations are going to be between a union and a league as they as they try to get the compensation packages for their players. On your side, you're talking about all the money that is that is outside of actually being on the field, jersey sales, video games, all that type of stuff. Is it the same right. contentious type relationship, or is that kind of a different aspect of the NFLPA?
1: No, it's not as contentious. Uh, we need each other, and to say that we are in a happy marriage would probably be overstating it, because we are... Uh, at the end of the day the the contentiousness on the labor side definitely bleeds over or is the umbrella over everything that that both I do and we do at NFL Players Inc on the for profit side and what our counterparts at the NFL on the commercial the non labor side over there it all that's the overlying um overlaying umbrella over everything that we do that said we like i said we need each other in the sense that we have a deal with electronic arts for the madden video game and so does the nfl we don't work on those together for a bunch of reasons one of them being antitrust uh concerns but we do obviously we both are licensors of that game so it behooves us both both to work together and whether it's jerseys uh with our deals with fanatics and nike or like i mentioned video games with electronic arts or trading cards with Panini, we have to work through business issues each and every day. Uh, we do have a uh, an agreement that's coterminous with the collective bargaining agreement on the commercial front. So there are actually two agreements. There's the CBA, which governs everything on the field, and then there's what's called the commercial agreement between us and the NFL that's um, what everything off the field. And those are both 10-year deals. So we are negotiating – we will be and are and will be negotiating the commercial agreement, which I head up um, that negotiation with the NFL. So there's two simultaneous negotiations going on at once.
0: All right, let's get into some of the merchandising stuff that, that you had mentioned. And I would mentioned all the player movement that has happened here. Obviously, this is a robust market. It is the most popular sports league um, in the country. Um, what are the challenges with Trying to ensure that the merchandise um, remains under um, the correct rights.
1: Yeah, yeah. so just backing up, just to give you this the scope or rather the importance of what we do for our players, uh, often, so, so what how we get the rights from our players is it's called group licensing. So we attain the likeness rights, which means the the images, players' faces, pictures of their faces, um, their names, their autographs, their data. We attain that from each NFL player. Every single NFL player, from Tom Brady to the last guy on the roster, uh, signs, signs a, what's called a group licensing assignment to us. So we have this collective. We have all. We can go out and we can exclusively negotiate these deals. <clears throat> um, High-profile rookies such as Dak Prescott when he was a rookie, uh, Russell Wilson when he was a rookie, Patrick Mahomes last year, Baker Mayfield last year, they will make more from their check from us in the year than they will make for playing football on the field. So that gives you perspective in terms of how much revenue we're generating. We're at right around 200 million in revenue total, and then through our group licensing program. And then what we do is we use that to fund the union, all the union operations and we, the rest of it um, the majority of it goes directly back to the players and is split based on sales. So Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes will sell more jerseys than, you know, the last guy on the roster. So therefore they will get a bigger check than the last guy on the roster from us. But those checks are seven figure checks for the high profile guys. And like I said, Will some will eclipse in a lot of cases the especially the first deal for players on the field, and you, you've heard players like Rob Gronkowski has said publicly that all of his playing money for the, his salary he puts away and he lives on his checks from group licensing from what we do at the at the union. Um, so that just gives you a perspective as to why this matters for players. Uh, the jerseys, which is the one of the two largest revenue streams for that $200 million annually for the players. Um, jerseys are a massive revenue stream for the players, and it's something that's really important to them, and, and therefore it's important to us Work as their union working for them. But to give you some, just spit some numbers at you, Bram, um, the sports memorabilia slash merchandise market as a whole, and this is globally and this is all sports, is of around $5.4 billion, okay? Um, about 35% of that is the NFL, so 35% of $5.4 billion. And if you take the the numbers put out by the FBI in terms of counterfeit merchandise, which is the jerseys that we've been talking about, it's around a third. So that means $1.8 billion dollars and this is also going back to all sports. 1.8 billion dollars in counterfeit sports merchandise globally. Um, it's a it's a ma- not, that alone is a massive industry at one at almost two billion dollars in counterfeit merchandise alone. And and you mentioned Odell the trade Odell going to Cleveland, um, Le'Veon going to uh, New York to the Jets. These are good things for us when we went at the PA and our group licensing program because. Now, with, the player, with a high-profile player being on a new squad, he, there's going to be a bunch of jersey sales. And like Patrick Mahomes was a massive success for us this past year. And when you think about what this means, what this revenue off the field means for these players, especially the younger guys, and, and then you think about that number, that one-third number of being counterfeit, it is a real problem that we're trying to solve.
0: It's funny though. I, I, this feels like this is something that happens in a lot of different areas of merchandise. I, I walk down the streets in New York, and there are people selling fake purses. Like th- this is this is not something that seems unusual to the NFL. So I, I wonder, what do you guys? What can you do about it? I mean, it seems so widespread. Yeah. What in the world you're, can you do about it?
1: You're right. You're right. The counterfeit problem is is much bigger than just sports. We come at it from our angle because. That's I mean, I come at it because that's my job, and that's what we do as the union. We represent our players, but the total counterfeiting market itself, like like I mentioned the 1.8 billion in sports, um, if you include the entire counterfeit, and that's everything from the Louis Vuitton bags that you see, the fake Louis Vuitton bags that you see on the streets of New York, to um, computer hard drives, to um, I mean, uh, to any products. That you can imagine can be counterfeited from laptops to obviously like sneakers. That that number is projected to be 2.4 trillion with a T trillion oh. by 2020. So you, you're talking about, and I don't I don't have um, comps in front of me. I, I but 2.4 trillion dollars is a ton of money, and I'm sure it it compares to some GDP numbers for countries. Um, so you're right, it's a it's a huge problem. Historically, there have been three from, from brands that get to put it bluntly ripped off um, like us or the, the high end fashion brands. Um, historically there's been really two major avenues. The first is enforcement, legal enforcement. So sending cease and desist letters, um, filing lawsuits, like going out and, and attacking the counterfeit counterfeiters and trying to cut them off. and, and, that is a game of whack-a-mole it's a game of whack-a-mole that you're never going to truly win because if you take out one two more pop up and one of the big problems is a lot of this stuff is manufactured not in the u.s um so we so we as licensors as brand owners brand brand protection experts have to work with uh the fbi we have to work with uh homeland security and and frankly, those folks have a lot of big fish to fry and they only have a certain amount of resources. So the counterfeit problem kind of falls down on the priority list. So when you're talking about like customs and seizing big uh, uh, shipments of NFL fake jerseys, I I don't necessarily blame the government, the federal government, for having that not as their top, top priority when you have... Real human issues like human trafficking or um, drugs. So that's one, and then the second one has just historically been a uh, policy play. So putting putting pressure legislatively on on uh, either the through through legislative when I say legislatively, I mean through legislators on businesses. The call them the Amazons or the Ebays of the world to crackdown on the sale of counterfeit merchandise. And then there's a third, a third approach, which we're diving into, which I think we're going to talk about, but um, I, don't, I don't want to pontificate too much if, if you have any uh, thoughts. Bro.
0: No, go ahead. I, I, I want to hear what you guys are trying to do about it. I know you're working with a yeah, company so to try is, to this figure is, this, this, this is thing this out. This
1: the exciting part for me. And so those have been the historical approaches. And over the past two years, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about blockchain, right? about blockchain, and it's kind of gotten confused with cryptocurrencies. And, and you know, there's the, the Bitcoin, the ride of Bitcoin on, on the market. And, and I think there's still a lot of confusion out there. But blockchain, at its essence, is simply a ledger. It's a distributed ledger, like a Google Doc that is uh, immutable, meaning it can't be changed. And therefore, it can be used to track items. So if you take blockchain away from cryptocurrencies, take it, take it out of the context of cryptocurrencies, and you take blockchain and you apply it to physical products, like, for example, NFL jerseys, you have a really interesting opportunity to take a physical jersey, make a record of it digitally on this distributed ledger that is backed by the blockchain, and now you can track that jersey, and, and by doing so, you know that the jersey is, uh, is authentic, and you know that it's actually licensed, and therefore it's not counterfeit. So if you, that's where this exploration started for us about a year and a half ago. And what it's led us to is this really interesting – we partnered with a Silicon Valley firm, to and we've been in stealth mode to really flip the, this counterfeit problem on its head and turn it into an opportunity. So I mentioned those gaudy numbers of 2.4 trillion is the overall counterfeit market, or even in sports, it's 1.8 billion. Um, that to us is opportunity to actually generate revenue in addition to mitigating the, the those numbers, the, the impact of counterfeit. So <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Um, we had a, a an issue with a, a high-profile player. Who uh, is a quarterback for the New York Giants? Um, with his yeah. jersey, he was—I don't know if you saw that—that that he got—he was embroiled in a lawsuit. He was sued for selling game-worn jerseys that weren't actually—that at least the plaintiffs claim, that weren't game-worn. Did this you see
0: that? yes, this included a couple of people who worked in the locker room. Um, of the New yep. York Giants that were supposedly and allegedly supplying equipment that came out of the locker room but was not specific to the games that they alleged that they had taken place. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: right, exactly. Yeah. And, and when going back to the, when I was describing my role, when I, when I think about what our role is as a union, it's to protect our players first and foremost. Um, and in that instance, our player had a lot of exposure. And he not only did it cost him money, but it was it's not a good PR. Um, it, there's not a it's not a good thing to have a quarterback's name in a headline with words like fraud and lawsuit or settlement. Um, it's just not. It's it, That's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. So take that example, and if you take the uh, technological or the solution that we are currently working on that we have not, uh, uh, we haven't unveiled yet fully. But <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you were to put that situation into this technological solution, so you have, okay, so the player takes off his jersey. And let's just say he didn't sign these jerseys, but let's just say for the sake of the example, he signs the jersey. So he takes it off and the equipment manager is standing there and and hands him a Marker and he signs the jersey. Okay, now you have a game worn autographed jersey from Eli Manning. I said his name. <laughs> um, at that moment, if, if that equipment manager, we don't expect the athletes to, to do the physical to digital um, recordation of getting it onto some ledger, but there's someone that is paid doing a job there, the equipment manager can take a photo. Through an app on his or her phone, of that jersey, with that autograph, and it can can snap a photo, and then it gets uploaded onto this ledger. Okay, that's the f- step one, and now it's up, uploaded on this block blockchain backed ledger. You have um, a picture of it that is, and then that that entry onto the blockchain would be time stamped, meaning exactly what time, and it can be geotagged, meaning exactly the location, and. Um, and you could have a photo you could actually have a photo built into the metadata of that entry onto the blockchain. Okay. So you have that entry at that point of origin. That's the call it the provenance, which is the, the word from the blockchain world. Um the provenance of that game worn autograph NFL jersey is now uploaded onto this ledger. Okay. Equipment the manager then takes that jersey, presumably gives it to the the manufacturer slash who will be the seller of this jersey amongst other jerseys that's another transaction that transaction is then also logged onto the blockchain all of the same benefits that i said that's step two then then there's probably some steps in the middle but at some point step three or four or five that is now sold to the consumer the consumer gets it and historically what comes with it are these certificate of certificates of authenticity you get a piece of paper Maybe it has a hologram on it, um, and without disparaging any of the traditional methods from our from our partners, we can all kind of see how that would be easily uh, uh, counterfeited itself. Right? A piece of paper with a hologram on it. Um, <clears throat> instead, if we have this technological solution, what that consumer can then do is get on the the same app and and scan that jersey, and I'll get into the scanning piece of it in a, in a second, but scan that jersey with that auto and then automatically see all of that, that chain of custody, the life of that jersey, going all the way back to that moment in the locker room when uh, that player took, took off the jersey and signed it. So there's authenticity. It creates this trust that doesn't exist right now. And then if you have, if you have a claim that it wasn't real – well it's a really easily resolved question as as opposed to what actually happened which is time and money spent in a lawsuit
0: because the jersey that Nick Foles wore when he caught the Philly special pass in the Super Bowl is priceless and right. the um, 58 other jerseys that were probably real and may have been worn by him technically are whatever they're worth, right? I mean, is this what we're talking about? We're talking about these very specific pieces of memorabilia.
1: Yes, exactly. And, And right now, there's not a good way to know that that Nick Foles jersey was actually worn in the Super Bowl, and he caught that touchdown while wearing that jersey. And so because there's no real way to know that, there's not the the premium that one would expect to get from that piece of memorabilia uh, doesn't exist. There's probably a premium on, on what claims to be, but when you add trust, now you add value. And that's where the revenue generation comes in uh, on the back end of what, what I was mentioning before, which is if you can create this ecosystem of, trustworthy, immutable records of sports memorabilia. You've, one, first and foremost, uh, gutted the counterfeit market because the consumers who care, which is another thing we can talk about, but the consumers who care about buying real products won't be – well, they'll know now what's real and what's not. So you gut the counterfeit market, so you reduce that $1.8 billion number, but you also increase the value of the real stuff because the real stuff is now – Uh, verifiable and able to be authenticated so one of the really interesting things I I mentioned it as I was going through the example of the jersey is we have looked at technology and there's two companies specifically um, we're we're under NDAs with both so I can't share the companies but one of them is in um, fossil fuels so fossil fuels like like natural gas right so they can take there's this imaging technology that you can you can use your phone to take a picture of a vat of oil with no QR codes, no unique identifier codes, and the, you can actually scan the the oil itself. And because of the consistency of that oil, and because of the unique nature of that vat of oil compared to the other hundreds or thousands of vats, it takes a fingerprint of that oil. It gets loaded up onto this blockchain-backed ledger, and then when that oil is, is amongst the thousands of other uh, tubs of oil, and it goes across the Atlantic Ocean, and you scan it with your phone weeks later, it can tell you, that the, that the app can tell you, based on the fingerprint, whether that same vat of oil was the same one that was scanned in the first instance. Okay, So it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that this kind of technology works, and it's because of the high-tech imaging that are, are, that is available right through our smartphones, that you can take these pictures. And that same logic can apply to any physical product. So instead of having to attach a QR code or another uh, un, uh, additional um, a number, which, one, could be counterfeited, or, and, two, adds cost to the manufacturing process, you can actually take a picture of the jersey itself. And because of the consistency of the thread in the jersey, that this high-end, high-tech imaging can pick up on, it can now create a fingerprint of any digital product. Hmm. Which, uh, when I saw this in action, my, uh, my, you know, they you do that little like, <sighs> your mind is blown. My mind was blown, and how it could apply to our industry and that that number that I keep mentioning of 1.8 billion dollars.
0: Do you see, okay, so I understand how this could help you follow the marketplace of the high-end memorabilia in whatever it may be. The glove Odell Beckhamore to make a one-handed catch to, to whatever degree yep. it may be, right? What about the other marketplace where everywhere I go on every street and every market, there is fake, literal fake, NFL jerseys out there for sale. Do you see a widespread use of this type of technology to try to protect your interests?
1: Uh, I do. And the, I mentioned this in passing too. One of the big problems is consumer awareness of the problem. The consumers are fans when I say our fans, I mean NFL fans. Don't fully get, I don't think, the impact of buying a counterfeit jersey. So that's the first step. The second step is the ones that there, are, there, there's a segment of the the market that may understand it and may just not care. Um, that is a that is a that is a problem with solving this um, counterfeit issue. But <clears throat> I do see it applying to NFL jerseys as a. Um, as a back-end solution. So you, you, then the price point matters, right? Like, if you think about the consumer that's going to – the collector that's going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on the Nick Foles jersey from the Super Bowl or the Odell Beckham – excuse me – glove from the one-handed catch, that consumer is more likely to care that it's authentic and able to be authenticated for, for resale value Excuse me, excuse me, me, than the casual fan – who is now buying an Odell Beckham uh, Cleveland Browns jersey just for whatever the price point is 80 bucks for a licensed jersey or 100 bucks? Um, I, I think that the, the former is going to care more than the latter, yeah. to your point. But I think that the consumer education for the latter comes in that if the consumers understand what the problem really is and what the impact of that problem with the impact on the players and this counterfeit market, and I don't mean to be dramatic, but this counterfeit market, because it's illegal, because it's overseas, um, you have all sorts of even bigger issues than NFL players being out some money. You have issues like child labor. Um, You have issues where counterfeit products, counterfeit jerseys are being produced at, at massive scale. By the same folks who are producing other counterfeit products, or potentially engaging in other illegal activities like um, drugs or human trafficking. So, and again, I, I don't, I don't want to fr- at all equate our NFL players being out some money off the field. Though it's important to us with the problems that I just mentioned, but they are connected um, because it's illicit activity and is coming from places that that this stuff goes on when I say this stuff, it's like child labor. So I think consumer education to your original question is really important. And also educating and, and putting responsibility on the, the, uh, marketplaces. If, if you've seen recently, Amazon took a step, I think in the right direction towards combating counterfeit, but Amazon is rampant. With with counterfeit products. Um, anytime you see an NFL jersey on Amazon today, this may change in the future. But if you see an NFL jersey on Amazon today, it's counterfeit. It's fake because we don't sell through Amazon, and and neither do a lot of high end um, fashion brands, luxury brands like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and they don't because they don't because they want these marketplaces to take responsibility. I, I do think Amazon took a step in the right direction, but it's both the consumers. It's the marketplaces, and then the, the last segment is are the legislators and the and the government, uh, from customs to legislators. We need them to understand the issue and and hopefully care about the issue once they understand.
0: I got to be honest with you. I, again, I follow sports and all of these things, especially through this, very closely. I had no idea that what was on Amazon is not real.
1: Yeah, we. So currently we don't sell nflpa licensed product through amazon and and the reason is not because we think they're bad people or bad business in fact it's the opposite and we have relationships with them but it's because of this counterfeit problem
0: that's uh, that's amazing And, and like
1: i said that may change um
0: well, I think at some point it's going to have to change because Amazon's going to rule the world. I don't know if you have much of a choice.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I know. And, and it's interesting, too, if you think about um, the, the Amazon relationship and this is getting away from merchandise a little bit, but if you think about the Amazon relationship with TNF, with Thursday Night Football, uh, it makes sense if you were to have, if you're watching Amazon streaming on, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Thursday Night Football on Amazon and then during a commercial or on the top on the bot on the sides that you can buy merchandise like as in real time. Well,
0: of course right? they, like they know you're watching, they the know you're watching it. Shop. And yeah. so, and and they know, so they can market directly to you immediately. Like yes. these are probably things you like because you're a football fan, because we know you're watching the game right now.
1: Yeah. And, and I'll go, I'll go a step further. And this is a, kind of stepping out way out of the merchandise lane. But if you think about, about like this whole idea of taking the physical to the digital okay so you have this memorabilia piece and I'm talking about putting it on to a blockchain based ledger and um, I swear I I don't want to talk about cryptocurrencies but what you do is you create this digital asset okay a one-of-one digital asset that corresponds with the physical asset asset the one. of one let's say the Odell Beckham glove all right. So now you have this fingerprint, uh, the digital fingerprint. That is a call it a token, call it an asset. You have a one of one. You can imagine, and we've we've discussed this with uh, a bunch of different companies in this space. You can imagine those digital assets actually having independent value, or at the very least, incremental value to the physical asset. So now you you can you can display this digital asset along with the physical asset of the one-of-one the one mem- piece of memorabilia. And then, going back to the Amazon piece, you can imagine having those digital assets available or, or somehow intertwined with the Thursday Night Football broadcast on the king of the world, the king of the universe, uh, Amazon. So, so it, it, we've, we've discussed all of this, and it's funny because when we sit in rooms with, especially with the Silicon Valley folks, everybody – uh, out there has these really, really big visions, and we get really excited about this stuff. And we've had actual, we've had active NFL players in these conversations with us when we were in Atlanta um, uh, a month ago for Super Bowl. And these guys are our guys are passionate about this: the counterfeit, the merchandise, the potentially creating value through digital assets, and how do we how do we figure this out? And there's all sorts of like second generation third generation uh, opportunities if you go to the if you take the first step of figure it, wrangling putting your arms around this kind of problem and um, and actually like getting a record of it now you can do all sorts of cool things so that was a very much a tangent but I get excited about this stuff because I think it's bigger than just solving the problem in, in like the, the traditional enforcement sense that's not the sort of there are some really good lawyers that I know that do that, and I respect them a lot. But that's not where my head is at. My head's at, all right. Let's solve the problem, and then let's create opportunities from that.
0: Um, we're short on time, so let me get your take on the one team collective. What's going on? We we'd had a mod on a while back when this thing was really kind of just up and running. So, so what's new with the one team collective at the NFLPA?
1: For sure. So, the one team collective, as I mentioned, is our uh, venture or venture studio incubator um, for startups. The premise behind it, just to give a little background because Ahmad was on a while back, is um, that we can expand our market when we think about access to NFL players and intellectual property rights from just cash-heavy companies like the NFL Sponsors, the uh, Nike, Fanatics, Electronic Arts, we can expand the startups and the classic example is Bitmoji. Are you familiar with Bitmoji? Yeah, I know it. So Bitmoji, this company comes in several years ago, they're trying to make they, they wanted to get a license to make NFL player little uh, emojis. And they were cash strapped because they were a startup. So they couldn't afford a license that was less than 100 100,000 bucks. It was actually about half of that. They just couldn't afford it. And it's it no problem because that's their business and they have investors and they said can can we give you equity in our company? And our response at the time was, well, we don't really have that mechanism set up, so we just can't. You know, let's stay in touch. They went out and they were they had an exit for like 100 and I think 160 million or 155 million. So had we had one percent of equity, we would have obviously made a lot more than the um, than the license fee that they couldn't afford. So under that premise, we've launched the One Team Collective. Been around for we just past our uh, two-year anniversary and we've done in that time we've done 11 deals and the number is low on purpose because we're not like a traditional uh, venture capital firm where you just make as many bets as you possibly can and hope that one hits big we're really interested in companies that one are interesting and are gonna have hopefully successful lives and then exits but two because of the nature of what we do and we're because we're a union um, representing these players, and we have intellectual property rights that they fit. So we did deals with companies like Whoop, which is a, a wearable strap uh, for, for performance and recovery. We did deals in the crypto space with a company called FanChain, um, Sportcaster slash FanChain. We've recently done deals with uh, an augmented reality company. And so it's really across the board, the, the deals that the startups that we're partnering with. And so that's the the background and getting us to today, what we're looking at moving forward is how do we maximize not just NFL player rights and, and, and what we have is this really valuable asset is access to NFL players, but all athletes. So you start, the first thing you think about in, in the U S is okay. You have football, baseball, basketball, and hockey in, in the men's sports. So that we are, actively engaged with our other um, unions uh, uh, here in the U.S., U.S.-based unions and those four sports, but also women's sports. We have a partnership with the U.S. women's national team, the soccer team, who it, it, they're, they're awesome. They're, they're both awesome on the field, way better than the men's team, and they're awesome off the field, and they're entrepreneurs, and they're, they're, they're scrappy, and they, they're, they really get business, um, and they're marketable. They have the U.S. Women's National Team is playing in the World Cup this summer. Uh, hopefully they they make it far, if not win it. They're, they're one of the favorites. And then we have the Olympics coming up in a few years. So when we think about the one-team collective and we think about the thesis, which is athletes getting more out of their sport than their sport gets out of them, we want to think in the long term – we want to think broadly – And uh, expansively, both horizontally, like right now with a bunch of athletes, and vertically, as we look down the road, um, investing in these companies. So with that, when we're talking to um, startups, these early stage companies, we're not just coming to them with, hey, do you want to use NFL players in your game or in your product or for your um, uh, endorsements? But how about U.S. Women's National Team? So we had an event in Atlanta, um, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention we have a partnership with the WNBA, the Women's Basketball uh, National Basketball Association. So they're in the same camp as the U.S. Women's National Team, which is marketable and savvy, and we're helping them build their business. So we had a, an event in Atlanta in which we had 10 startups pitch, okay, so these 10 startups get up and pitch in front of NFL players, uh, professional soccer players, w- women's soccer players, professional women's basketball players, and then us, the NFLPA executive team, and our investors. And the winner of those, the the, the winning company that won the pitch day, was a company called Fresh Bellies, okay? Fresh Bellies is – they sell organic food for babies, healthy <laughs> organic food for babies. and And you think – Wait a second. <laughs> NFL players and then Fresh Bellies? Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but the reason why it makes sense is because a, a company like Fresh Bellies, their target demographic are young mothers, women. So it's, we're not looking at this as if a, a young mother, and, we, and there's a lot of, obviously, women NFL fans, female NFL fans, but are they going to resonate with Odell Beckham, or are they going to resonate with uh, Alex Morgan. Yeah. You know, someone's national. Yeah. So it's really like thinking bigger than just football players or even just men's sports or just like, you know, the traditional startups you think of like, and this, we love whoop. We love our traditional like sports startups, but we're really trying to be expansive and look at what are some other uh, broader initiatives or, or companies that we can look at and how do we, Uh, really think broadly about this initiative
0: i'm picturing vince wilfork listening to a pitch for organic food (laughs) for a baby
1: well we did we did have uh one of the judges was eric winston so eric (laughs) he's a big uh, dude he played in the league for uh, 12 years as a tackle and he um he's our president at the NFLPA, pa and he was one of the judges and (laughs) it is funny thinking he's six eight however much he weighs he's a huge guy um in shape but a huge guy and he's like sitting there listening to fresh bellies pitch in on this company <laughs> it, it, it's
0: hilarious oh man uh Casey Schwab is the vice president of business and legal affairs at the NFLPA thanks so much for the time Casey
1: of course thanks for having me
0: as always we are staying ahead of the game this is the sport techie podcast I'm Bram Weinstein